0: Hello and welcome to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio. Researched and written in Indianapolis by Dr. Adrian Peterson and produced in the studios of WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida. I'm Jeff White. This is edition NWS 608 for release on Sunday, October eighteenth, two 2020. On WaveScan today, Return to Nepal, Part 2 of Mount Everest on shortwave. 75 years of the voice of Vietnam, also part 2, and our Bangladesh DX report. Mount Everest, known as Sagarmata by the people of Nepal, was named Everest in honor of Sir George Everest, the prominent Welsh surveyor general of India, towards the middle 1800s mount everest itself is not a single isolated mountain but rather it is a high peak among a multitude of high peaks in the ranges of the himalaya mountains that separate india from the chinese areas of central asia now here's ray robinson with part two of radio broadcasting from mount everest
1: Thanks, Jeff. This mountain, in total, stands at twenty-nine thousand and twenty-nine feet. That's about five and a half miles above mean sea level, and the officially recognized international border between Nepal and Tibet in China runs right across the summit. Up at the summit, the wind speed can sometimes reach two hundred miles an hour. The lowest recorded temperature was minus seventy-six degrees Fahrenheit, more than a hundred degrees below freezing. During the past 100 years, more than 200 climbing expeditions have attempted to reach the summit of Mount Everest, and nearly 7,000 people have been successful, though the attempts have resulted in more than 300 deaths. The first attempt began when a British reconnaissance party of half a dozen men set out from Darjeeling in India on May the 18th, 1921. Their 300-mile trek took them from India through Sikkim into Tibet with a climb on Mount Everest from the north. It's thought that the first successful attempt at climbing Mount Everest might have been made by George Mallory and Andrew Irvine on June eighth, 1924, though apparently both men perished on the way down in a massive storm the next day. In 1953, New Zealander Sir Edmund Hillary and Sherpa Tenzing Norgay made the first verified successful climb of Mount Everest. The first American expedition in 1975 is listed as the largest ever, with a total of more than 1,000 personnel, climbers, porters and support staff. The greatest number of people upon Everest in any one year was 772 climbers, and that was last year, 2019, when they actually had traffic jams on the narrow ledges near the top. The first woman to successfully climb Everest was a Japanese Junko Tabe in 1975. The first twin girls were the 21-year-old sisters Tashi and Nungshi Malik from India in 2013, and the youngest girl to successfully reach the summit was another Indian girl, 13-year-old Malavart Purna, during the following year, 2014. The first Everest expedition to use radio was the British team in 1933. After the British expedition in 1924, the Dalai Lama of Tibet banned all Everest expeditions due to adverse publicity, and the British expedition of 1933 was the first allowed after the ban was lifted. Three shortwave communication radio stations were in use in 1933. There was a fixed station at Darjeeling in Bengal in India, and two portable stations for use on the Everest mountainside. The operators discovered that the most successful channels were in the shortwave bands from 40 to 60 metres, and the best time for communication was in the early morning. This three-station communication network used voice when possible and Morse code when needed. The chief operator was William Smith Wyndham. In addition to operational communications, the operators also tuned in to the broadcast of radio programming on shortwave and local medium wave for news and entertainment. Englishman Morris Wilson made a solo attempt at climbing Everest during the following year, 1934, and before his tragic death on the mountain, he made a radio report on his progress. Another British expedition two years later in 1936, used what they called lightweight radio communication transceivers on Everest for the first time. These radios weighed 15 pounds each. Once again, William Smith Wyndham was their chief radio operator, and the control station was installed again at Darjeeling. Sixteen years later, in 1953, there was another major expedition on Mount Everest, this time by a joint British and New Zealand team. It was at eleven thirty a m on friday may the twenty ninth nineteen fifty three that New Zealander Edmund Hillary, together with Nepali Sherper Tenzing Norgay, successfully reached the summit of Mount Everest, the world's tallest mountain that stands between Nepal and China. The epic-breaking first-ever successful ascent on Mount Everest by New Zealand Edmund Hillary, later Sir Edmund Hillary, and Nepali Sherpa Tenzing Norgay, 1953, was granted rapid worldwide news coverage. They took VHF walkie-talkies on the climb for communication, but there was no base camp shortwave radio station due to the fact that this expedition was already large and expensive. While on the climb, Hillary carried a shortwave receiver and he tuned in to the commercial service of Radio Ceylon for programming and news, which included informational relays from the BBC in London. He reported that the signal strength from the transmitters at aircolo was excellent, and the programming came in loud and clear at the summit at eleven thirty a m on Friday may the twenty ninth Hillary took several appropriate colour photographs of the occasion and the two mountaineers then began their descent when they reached the advance camp still quite high on everest they used their walkie-talkie to inform base camp way down below that they had achieved their prized ascent the first verified successful climb to the top waiting at base camp below was james morris a credited correspondent with the london times newspaper as soon as Morris heard the news of the successful climb, he wrote out a message which he gave to a Nepali runner, who quickly ran the message to the nearest shortwave communication station at Namche Bazaar. Namche Bazaar in Nepal is a tourist shopping town some thirty miles southwest from Mount Everest. The shortwave station at Namche Bazaar sent the success message to the British Embassy in Kathmandu, who radioed the information to London. Interestingly, this grand news was broadcast worldwide on Coronation Day, June 2, 1953, for Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II, a fitting tribute for the 27-year-old Queen. The huge American expedition in 1963 used shortwave radio for communication and also for news coverage. A Reuters news reporter in Kathmandu, Miss Elizabeth Hawley, received progressive news reports by radio from the mountainside, and she forwarded the information on to the United States for worldwide distribution. Another 16 years later, there was a joint Everest expedition with Germany and France in cooperation. Early in the year 1979, a seven-member team from the two European nations carried a portable transmitter from which they made periodic broadcasts describing their onward progress towards the summit. These mountain broadcasts were picked up on a receiver at the French Embassy in Kathmandu, and then uplinked to Symphony, the Franco-German satellite over the Indian Ocean. This programming was then fed into the local and international radio services in both France and Germany, and in many other countries also. From the summit, they described the expansive panorama over India and China as breathtaking. In 1988, two teams of personnel from Japan, China and Nepal scaled Everest, one from the north and the other from the south. By previous arrangement, they met at the summit, and then crossed over for the descent. Live TV coverage was provided throughout the expedition. Canada has also been involved in similar mountaineering projects at Everest, and they established a complete TV studio in the Hotel Everest Sheraton in Kathmandu, from where TV programming was beamed by satellite to homeland audiences in Canada, as well as to the BBC in London and NHK in Tokyo. To accomplish this series of TV relay programs, it required 300 porters to carry all of the TV equipment to base camp at Mount Everest. Well, coming up soon in WaveScan, we'll continue this topic with the radio scene on the other Mount Everest. For now, back to you, Jeff.
0: Thank you very much, Ray. And now a bit of transmitter trivia. The other day I received a message from Sergio Salvatore at Vatican Radio asking the following. I listened to an interview in French on Facebook. The speaker says that Vatican Radio put on sale around the mid-70s three 100-kilowatt transmitters, and HCJB purchased all of them. Unfortunately, no one at Vatican Radio has a memory of this. I wanted to ask HCJB if they have heard about this story. Well, we didn't have to go to HCJB. We had to go no further than Ray Robinson at KVOH. Here's what Ray told me. Yes, Jeff, that's absolutely correct. The three 100-kilowatt units were manufactured by RCA in Italy for Vatican Radio in 1959 to 1960. In the mid-1970s, they were sold to HCJB and installed in Quito, Ecuador, where they saw service for another 10 years or so. Then in 1985, Dr. George Otis purchased two of them for High Adventure Ministries. I don't know what happened to the third. The two that were purchased were both shipped in containers to Los Angeles. One was installed here for the new KVOH and was returned to the air in October 1986, broadcasting to Latin America. It still continues on the air daily, and I can hear it as I type this email. Attached is a short clip of how it sounded southeast of Mexico City at about 1520 UTC during Dino Blois's Frecuencia al día program last Friday morning the 9th of October.
2: Se me desea allí los próximos cinco años. La actividad será en la banda de 20, 15 y 10 metros. José L. Díaz Romeo más Occalima. Hay <tose> agradecemos a <Radio> Rico <tose> pero bueno, por su colaboración a Frecuencia al día. Desde España soy Francisco Paez desde Onda 87 Radio. <laughs> Las unos cortos,
1: sonidos para la historia. Diros <tose> tan más rápido
0: kvoh pounding into the mexico city area at 1520 utc ray says also attached are photos of the rca at kvoh as it was in 1986 and today it's no longer very pretty on the outside but like an old chevy in havana we keep the insides working fine the second RCA unit was onward shipped from Los Angeles to Palau, Micronesia for the new Voice of Hope Asia that was being established there. It saw service in Palau for another decade or so along with the Harris SW-100B until two Thompson TRE-2311Ps were received in the late 90s from the Cox Peninsula Station in Australia. The Harris unit And the two Thompsons are still there today, uh, now along with the Continental 418F. Once the two Thompsons were installed, the RCA unit was no longer used, and it was scrapped in the late 2000s to make room for the Continental. So there you have it, a shortwave transmitter mystery solved by our own Ray Robinson. You're listening to WaveScan from Adventist World Radio. Recently we brought you part 1 of a special program from the Voice of Vietnam about that station's 75th anniversary celebrated last month. Today we have part 2 of Untold Stories.
3: I remember the days when we have to work from the evacuated place are uh, about 4 kilometers from here, you know, near Chu Thai. I mean, yes. And uh, we stay in a village and uh, the memory is funny because, you know, it's uh, this all kind of, you know, uh, daily life issues and, you know, very, very humorous people living together in, in a farming um, village and, uh, you know, staying in the, in the family of the, of the peasant there. And I, I still remember because I, I, I stay in the same house with Mr. Juan, uh, he's a very senior in French. the French uh, a language section. When we go to the uh, to the canteen to have to have our meal, Mr. Huan always says that. Well, this is an example of a meal and not a meal itself, because you know because it's too little, to <laughs> yes. and we never we we never feel you know like when we are eating, and I never feel like a fool But you know, looking to toward the Hanoi direction. you know, we can still see you know the like the fire during the night if if the air strike you know going on it's, it looks like you know a, a foundry somewhere over there, and all the fire was spurting up and things like that, but from there we, we we also have facility to record i think yes to record. And that is uh, it's, it's a very, very special place.
2: um uh, in what year a bomb was dropped very near to VOV station on Ba yes. Street? Yes, this was in 1972. I remember that uh, on the day that the U.S. bombing attacks over the French embassy in Ba Street, which is very close to the studio of a VOV studio before that about one hour mrs ng uh, was there to record the mail back and i i accompanied her only to assist her to to help her after the recording was over i came back to my house very close to the uh, french embassy also close to the vov studio and then i heard the siren i heard the bomb explosion first and then came the sirens and Every people in the my family uh, rushed to the shelter mean, under the table and then the the all the food in the table was flown down so after many years, i think nearly fifty years you still remember those days. Thank you all very much for your impressive stories and in many of your stories, you have mentioned Ms Chiingtingingo, a legendary announcer of v o v she was the announcer of a program
4: targeting American GIs during the Vietnam War, and U.S. soldiers called her Hana Hanoi and described her voice as mysterious, mesmerizing, magic, and wicked, which they hated but could not resist. The U.S. military even banned American troops stationed in the Seventh fleet in South Vietnam and in Thailand to listen to Hanoi Hana's show. And let's see why they did that.
2: How are you, G.I. Joe? It seems to me that most of you are poorly informed about the going of the war. They say nothing about a correct explanation of your presence over here. That was Hannah Hanold talking in a small talk to American G.I.s in 1970s. Mr. Chị Tuan, uh, you had worked with Mr. Ngoc for a pretty long time at VOV. Can you share with us some of your memories working with her?
3: Well, my memory of, of Chị Ngoc is not only, you know, working memory, but because, you know, our family are very close to one another from the old time. And working with Chik Ngoc is, is quite, uh, you know, very uh, educating experience because Chik Ngok is like many other from people in, in, in her generation. She lives seriously, you know, she's a serious lady. She took the job, she took anything uh, seriously and very responsible for the things that she already accepted and working on. so. And working with her, is, is uh, it helped me to grow up and become better, you know, not only at job, but even as a person. So I really love her.
4: For the young generations like us, we only know about Ms Ngoc through stories on newspapers and through our predecessor stories. What about you, our senior colleagues? What are your memories about her?
2: I want to become an, an announcer, so I try to copy the way she read the news. I say the word read, it doesn't mean simply read, but how to convey the message to the listeners, to the best way, so that the program will be attractive to them. So actually, uh, Miss Ngọ was the first person who uh, teaches how to read the news. And uh, at that time, Lok and I were trying to learn from her very much. I think uh, she was a great example we are recording the harsh days of Vietnam and the voice of Vietnam as well. When reviving those unforgettable years, we have a story that we'd like to share with you. Please check it out. One morning, I came into work, me and Robert, or Robert and I, and there was Fook, the director, who we called Fernando, and uh, there was Min and phung who were my age, in their 20s, and they said we have something special for you to read, and told us to go into the sound booth, which we did. And Robert and I sat down to the microphone without knowing what we were reading, and then we said, this is the voice of Vietnam. And we started reading, and we had to stop, because what we were reading was the announcement of the signing of the Paris Peace Accords, which was bringing the war to an end. And it was extraordinary because it was so unexpected.
4: There was Maria Mansara, a former broadcaster at VOB's English service at Radio Havana, Cuba, in the early 1970s. In the tape, Miriam recalled her once-in-a-lifetime special live broadcast
2: in late January 1973. And uh, in 2019, Miriam visited VOV station in Hanoi for the first time and shared with us many of her memories when she read news about Vietnam, particularly the landmark Paris Peace Accords.
0: That was the second part of the special program produced by The Voice of Vietnam to mark their 75th anniversary. On the seventh of September, but now it's off to Bangladesh. Here's Saluddin Dollar with his DX report. Dear listeners and radio hobbyists, welcome you in another edition of
5: Bangladesh DX report in Oviescan. This is Saladdin Dollar from Rathshahi Bangladesh. Glad to be back and thanks for listening. The receiving log of different radio stations. October first, BBC Bhaya Dushnave Korean language program was heard at. 1656 UTC on 9900 kilohertz. The Isai code was 333. October 4th, Pan-American Broadcasting via taskend English Gospel Program was heard at 1715 UTC on 7425 kilohertz. The Isai code was 343. Bangladesh Betar Bengali Music Program was heard at 1820 UTC on 47.50 kilohertz, the ISI code was 322. October 6th, Voice of Korea in France. instrumental music dominating over CRI Russian cosanel was heard at 1825 UTC on 72.10 kilohertz, the ISI code was 333. Voice of Vietnam in German world news was heard at 1830 utc on 7280 kilohertz the ISA code was 444 voice of vietnam in Vietnamese, discussion on social media facebook etc was heard at 2320 utc on 7435 kilohertz the ISA code was 343 radio free asia chinese language program instrumental music was heard at 2334 UTC on 9720 kilohertz. the code was 333. October 7th, Reese Beyond Australia English Service Bible discussion was heard at 1248 UTC on 11750 kilohertz. the code was 433. ANSQ World Radio via Singapore Thai language program was heard at 1253 utc on 11740 kilohertz the ISI code was 433 3. radio free asia in Burmese talking in male voice was heard at 1302 utc on 11805 kilohertz the ISI code was 444 nippon nokaze Bayataskan male talking in korean was heard at Thirteen hundred zero eight UTC on 11875 kHz the SI code was 322 2. BBC English, Bhaya Sila talking about American presidential election was heard at 1312 UTC on 11890 kHz the SI code was 443 Riz Beyond Australia, Himasali program with devotional song was heard at 1317 UTC on 11900 kHz, the SIO code was 444. Radio Free North Korea with a discussion between OM and YL in Korean was heard at 1312 UTC on 11510 kHz, the SIO code was 343. Thanks Mr. Pradip Chandra Kundu from Agartala, Tripura, India for sharing his log with us. If you have any comments and suggestion and if you want to send reception report of our segment please send email to us dxbangla at the rate gmail.com dxbangla at the gmail.com Okay I will come with more dx news in the next edition. Till then take care. Salauddin dollar Ratshahi Bangladesh.
0: We end WaveScan today with some music from Vietnam, a song called My Homeland. Thanks for listening to WaveScan, the international DX program from Adventist World Radio, researched and written in Indianapolis by Adrian Peterson. Next week, the largest whale stranding in the history of Tasmania. We'll look at the local radio scene on that island. Also, our Australian DX report. Several QSL cards are available for Wavescan. Send your AWR and KSDA reception reports for the program to the AWR address in Thailand and also to the station your radio is tuned to, WRMI or WWCR or KVOH or Voice of Hope Africa or to IWRS Italy or to the AWR relay stations that carry Wavescan. Remember, too, you can send a reception report to the DX reporters when their segment is on the air. Here in Wavescan, they will also verify with their own colorful QSL card. Return postage and an address label are always appreciated. The email address for AWR QSLs is QSL at AWR dot And the postal address for AWR QSL cards is Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, that's P-R-A-K-A-N-O-N-G, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. Again, that's Adventist World Radio, P.O. Box 234, Prakanong, Bangkok 10110, Thailand. The email address for other correspondence to Wavescan, not reception reports, is wavescan at awr.org. I'm Jeff White at WRMI Shortwave in Okeechobee, Florida, USA. Till next week, good listening, everyone.